Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. A lot in our show today, a lot of things to talk about. And, you know, there's there's all this stuff. Well, first of all, what we're going to get to, uh, Senator Jeff Merkley is going to be with us in our third hour talking about or in our second hour, excuse me, talking about uh, what are they hiding? Uh, this the children in Brownsville, Texas. What's going on with this? We're going to talk with uh, Senator Merkley about that. Um, does America need to hold a special election for president? I'm going to get to that in just a second. And about that coming crash, actually, Jeff will be with us at third hour. About that coming crash, that's the second hour. Um, I, I want to share some economic insights with you that I think are profound and meaningful. And that'll all make sense in about an hour from now. But I want to start out, I got a letter from Marty Kurtzfeldt. Kurzfeld. Uh, Marty's a writer. He lives in Los Angeles. Uh, he's, you, know, you, can, you, know, you can look him up online. He's, he's a good guy. Um, has done some really, really great work. And lately, he's been sending out to a, a little group of, uh, uh, you know, of people on his email list, you know, old friends and acquaintances, uh, periodic musings, ramblings. And the one he sent out this morning uh, was so good and so uh, so spot on and so brilliant, and it provokes such a really interesting question that I want to share pieces of it with you intact and then ask that question. And the question essentially is, what do we do if we learn that the President of the United States was not legitimately elected? That the election was essentially stolen? Now, Greg Pallas and I have, have uh, you know, made the case on this program a number of times. And in fact, Greg is going to be with us in our third hour today, too. Um, we've made the case a number of times that Chris Kobach knocking hundreds of thousands of people off the election rolls in Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania in the months before the election. Combined with the efforts of the Republican administration in Michigan to put quote, defective, end quote, voting machines in Detroit so that at least 75,000 African-Americans in Detroit who stood in line for hours to vote in 2016 in this last election and in all probability did not vote for Donald Trump, who won Michigan by about 14,000 votes, if my recollection is correct, maybe 11,000. I think it was, yeah, 10,400 and something. That 75,000 U.S. citizens stood in line to vote and, and, you know, filled out their ballots and all that kind of stuff. And at the very, at the very end, all, at the very end, all that was left was their votes for the House, for the Senate, for, the, for state and local offices. But not a single one of these 75,000 people who stood in line for hours and hours and hours to vote in Detroit voted for president. They just chose not to vote for president. Who cares, right? So... I could build an argument that Trump was elected, you know, that, that, that the election was stolen by election rigging. Marty, in this case, is building the case that uh, what he believes Mueller is going to find is that the president was elected because foreign powers, and, you know, to, to some extent this still has to be determined, but, you know, clearly this was coming out of the Internet Research Bureau, this, this uh 
for-profit company in Russia that has done work for the Russian government, among others. But they're for hire. Anybody can hire them. And we know now that Saudi Arabia wanted Trump to be president. We know that the UAE wanted Trump to be president. Uh, we, we can, you know, it's pretty likely, given everything that's happened, that Netanyahu and Israel wanted Trump to be president. And, of course, there's no shortage of American billionaires who wanted Trump to be president. So, you know, who paid the Internet Research Bureau? Or was it Vladimir Putin? I mean, that's the consensus of the U.S. intelligence agencies. And it may well be true that it was the Russian government that paid for it. But we don't have that conclusively. But when we get it, which Mueller's investigation is supposed to find, we may well discover that the election was, you know, that, that in those critical states, those phony baloney ads on Facebook actually swung the election. And so, you know, in a way that would be profoundly illegal, you know, so if it was the Russian government or the Saudi government or the Israeli government or the, or the Emiratis, I think you could argue that even if it was the billionaires doing it, the American billionaires doing it, that it's problematic. But in any case, so the question, if we can demonstrate that Donald Trump actually isn't the legitimate president of the United States, that the election was illegitimate, this raises a number of substantial and troubling questions. And Marty has some suggestions for this, and I'd love to get your thoughts on what you think we should do, because there's no provision for this in the Constitution. The Constitution talks in the... Tw in the uh, uh, in, you know, it, it talks about the uh, president being disabled, essentially, unable to serve in office. This was an amendment. I think it's the 25th Amendment. I'm not sure. But it's the, the amendment to the Constitution that was passed after Franklin Roosevelt had his stroke. Um, or maybe it was after Jack Kennedy was whatever. Anyway, so, you know, if the president is disabled and his cabinet and his vice president say, hey, it's time for him to, but there's, the, and, and, and of course there's impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors, but there's no provision for a do-over. And there's no provision for a recall vote. You know, in Wisconsin, you actually had a majority of the people vote to, rec to hold an election to recall Scott Walker. And then of course, you know, the Kochs and their friends came in and poured millions of dollars into Wisconsin and, and Scott Walker won that election by a squeaker because of outside money. But it was American outside money, so at least it was considered legitimate. So anyway, here's what Marty asks. He says, if you find that, it's an open letter to Robert Mueller. And he says, if you find that the president is guilty of having colluded with Russians for the purposes of commandeering that election, impeachment not only amounts to an anemic and ineffective remedy, it's also an inadequate and an unjust one. For even if the president were removed from office, the fruit of that poisoned electoral tree would still leave our government in the undeserving hands of a rogues gallery of people the illegitimately elected president was allowed to put into place around him. In other words, if you don't fix the whole system, if you just remove Trump, but, but you don't you know, remove Pruitt and Zinke and, and Pence and all these other guys, you still have that poison from that illegitimate election. He says it's absurd, Marty Kurzfeld said, it is absurd on his face to imagine that the Constitution or any other legal authority can or should imbue the chief executive with blanket immunity from prosecution. This is Trump's claim yesterday in a tweet especially when the crime that they're being accused of is the theft of the very office wherein their immunity supposedly magically resides. So you mix together Trump's virtually unlimited pardon powers with his throwing around pardons like he's passing out Halloween candy, an obvious inducement to witnesses to lie. And what do you have? Something that our founders never never imagined could happen, literally never imagined could happen. And then you've got this opinion that says that, uh, the, the, this, this opinion that says that the president can't be indicted. Well, that was written in September of 1973 by Robert Dixon, who was the head of the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel. He said that a trial would unduly burden a sitting president. Well, you have a trial in the Senate. That's, it's the same thing. I mean, I, you know, but, but let's consider this. That was 1973. In 1974, Leon Jaworski said, no, that's not, we're not going to do that. We disagree with the opinion of the legal counsel. And then Ken Starr in 1998 said, I disagree too with that 1973 letter by Robert Dixon. And by the way, Robert Dixon was, was working in the office of legal counsel whose head, the head of that, the office of legal counsel, his boss, Robert Dixon, was Assistant Attorney General Jay Bybee, the guy who wrote the torture memo for George W. Bush. Not exactly a paragon of, you know, legal thinking, although I believe he's uh, 
he, yeah, he's a federal judge now in the Ninth Circuit, as I recall. Trump, Trump or Bush or somebody appointed him. Anyhow, he, he ends, and Marty ends this, the shameless stealing of a presidential election is a crime the founding fathers and our political ancestors didn't adequately anticipate as no sensible remedies for such an office are enshrined in our Constitution. So what he's suggesting is that we should bring in presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama, ask them to collaboratively occupy the White House from the day of Trump's impeachment for you know, treason, high crimes, and misdemeanors if it's demonstrated that he colluded with a foreign power to become president. Bring them in to sit in in his place. Remove Trump from office. Remove his cronies from office. Pence, the cabinet secretaries, everybody. And let George W. Bush and Barack Obama appoint temporary successors between now and November. And then in November, we hold a presidential special election along with all the regular elections that are happening across the country. We have four months to do this. In the Great Britain, they do elections in six weeks. In, in most European countries, they do them in less than two months. We can do this. But there's no constitutional provision for it. Congress could pass a law authorizing it, but that's pretty unlikely given that the Republicans control Congress. Unless, and, and increasingly you're seeing more and more Republicans so terrified of Trump, so, so backed down, so whipped down, that, that they are just, oh, President Trump, what a, you know, they're afraid to criticize him, they're afraid to speak out against him, et cetera, et cetera. That, you know, probably this won't happen, but maybe if there was a ground spell of effort. Maybe I'm just, you know, maybe Marty and I are just, you know, talking into the wind here. In fact, in all probability. But do you see any remedies for this? I mean, it's not just impeach Trump because he colluded with a foreign power to become president or tried to and then tried to cover it up. But there's also Pence and there's Betsy DeVos and her brother Eric Prince who keeps setting up meetings in the Seychelles for, for Republicans and members of the administration. And, you know, Jared Kushner and Brian Zinke and Scott Pruitt and Mick Mulvaney. I mean, you've got this rogues gallery, this bunch of corrupt people who are there because of a criminal, a criminal conspiracy. This is the Tom Hartman program. If proven, now it's, right now it's an alleged cons- conspiracy. We'll see what Mueller says. But would this be a solution? What do you think? And welcome back. Richard, watching Free Speech TV in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Yes, uh, I like to say my opinion of how we got Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I think that the whole thing was fixed from the beginning with them electing, selecting Obama. Then next day, gerrymandered the state elections. After the gerrymandering the state elections. The Electoral College was appointed by most of these Republicans, and the Republicans finally appointed, uh, elected, uh, what's his name? Trump. Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that gerrymandering happened right after the 2010 census. It happened in 2011, while Barack Obama, President Obama, was president. But, you know, it was happening at the state level. There was nothing he could do about it. And now Trump not only is messing with, with you know, our, everything. In our, he also wants to mess with the census this year by asking a question about citizenship, which will scare anybody who has anybody in their family who's not a citizen away from answering the questions, which will further decrease the political power of those states and those electoral districts, those counties, essentially, or, or uh, congressional districts, that that are largely minority controlled, particularly Hispanic minorities. Back to you, Richard. How many uh, African-American or Hispanics are on the Electoral College? That's a good question. I don't know the answer because people people basically within their political parties volunteer to be electors. And then, you know, if if a state votes for a Democrat, then the Democratic's electors become the ones who go to D.C., and if it votes for a Republican, the Republican electors are the ones who go to D.C. Uh, to, to cast the electoral vote, and uh, their names are typically, I mean, they're, they're available, but not widely available, and, and, the, and their race is, to the best of my knowledge, not even listed. I don't know the answer, Richard. I'm guessing very few. 
a lot of them on electoral colleges are political hacks that are appointed. Sure. And none of them, or very few of them, are black. I'm guessing you're absolutely right, Richard. Although we don't know for sure. But, so you know. This thing, could have been, this thing could have been fixed from the very beginning of when they appointed Obama. It, it, you know, the Republicans have, have been working 16 ways to Sunday to, to rig these elections between the gerrymandering that you're talking about and, you know, yeah. a, a, and the, the setup of the Electoral College. Although the electors in this election, none of them changed a vote. So it didn't really matter who was an elector in the Electoral College because they simply voted the way that their state went. But the way that their state went was, in my opinion, rigged. As I pointed out, Michigan, Donald Trump won Michigan by, by fewer than 11,000 votes. And over 75,000 people in Detroit, a like, overwhelmingly African-American city, over 75,000 people stood in line for hours, voted, and the voting machines failed to record their vote for president, which means that most of them voted for Hillary Clinton, uh, 75,000 people, and none of those votes were recorded, so Donald Trump got Michigan, and by getting Michigan, he got the presidency. And I'm, and I'm guessing that something very similar has happened. Other things have happened in Ohio, we don't know. Uh, and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. The whole thing stinks to high heaven. Richard, thank you for the call. So there's multiple ways that this election was rigged, and I think you could build a case based on, frankly, any of them. Back. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you 34 minutes past the hour. So the essential question is, what do we do when, I would say if, but you know, for, for a lot of us it's already obvious, when it becomes obvious to the majority of Americans that Donald Trump is an illegitimate president and therefore everything he has done since he came into office, including all of his cabinet appointments, Mike Pence's activities, the laws that he has signed, that all of these are illegitimate. Whether it's an illegitimacy that can be demonstrated by the way that uh, Chris Kobach and friends uh, and, and you know Republicans all across the country threw largely African-American, Hispanic, and Asian voters off the voting rolls, just in time for the election through interstate cross-check, which Greg Palace has so brilliantly uh, documented in his, uh, you, you can see his movie over on Amazon for, for two bucks, I think it is, or whatever. It's the best democracy money can buy. It's, it's really worth watching and sharing with your friends because he just lays it out. I mean, he confronts Chris Kobach in that video, number one. Or number two, was it because of the, uh, you know, the, the election machine failure in Detroit? Or number three, was it because a foreign power, Russia, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel, a foreign power or local billionaires hired a Russian firm, the Internet Research Bureau, to come up with memes that would, that would pit the electorate against each other, that would disrupt our election, and that would cause people to vote for Trump. Any one of those, you, you could argue, say that he's an illegitimate president. Now, I remember back in 1961, after John Kennedy was sworn in, my father, the Republican, who did not like John Kennedy, he wanted Richard Nixon. My father was saying, you know, that wasn't, an, that wasn't a legitimate election. They, they were using, you know, the, the Mayor Daley in Chicago had, had these election machines and they, they you know, and they, they rigged the election with the election machines. Well, it turns out that even if there had, you know, even if Chicago had voted against Kennedy and for Nixon, that Kennedy still would have won. Uh, the, if, if the fix was in for Kennedy anywhere, it was in Texas, frankly, and it had to do with Lyndon Johnson, but that's a whole other thing. But, but I remember my dad and all his Republican buddies and the guys at the John Birch Society and the local Republican community, like, just freaking out. What do we do? You know, Jack Kennedy's an illegitimate president. Well, they were never able to convince the rest of Americans of that, although there are still Republicans who believe that. But they never really came up with an answer. What do we do? Is it Laura or Lautra in uh, Alexandria, Virginia? It's Laura. Laura. Hey, Laura, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Yes, well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was just calling to comment on um, Trump being an illegitimate president and what to do. And I agree with what you mentioned before, um, the possible solution. However, I feel as though if somebody has been wronged, then we need to right that wrong. And if that means putting Hillary Clinton in office, then I think that that would be the appropriate thing to do. Well, I think an election would probably do that if she chose to stand for election in November. If she didn't right. choose to, then it would be somebody else. But I think that if we were to install Hillary Clinton without that election happening, um, mm -hmm. even in the, in the face of the evidence of fraud, 
that would so harden the Republicans. That's why I like Marty's idea of taking George W. Bush and Barack Obama uh, and having them be basically co-presidents, mm-hmm. you know, at least for yeah. four months. We're just talking four months here, right? Or however right. long it is, what, July, August, September, October, November, five, uh, six months, five, six yeah, months. Yeah, and I, and I, do, I do like that, that idea and that solution. However, um, one might argue that she was elected. Yes. And, and therefore, that she should be president from that point on until the, the term has ended. Now, if, if, the, if, if what Mueller comes up with, and unfortunately I don't think he's looking into the election rigging in Wisconsin and you know, the, the Chris Kobach stuff at all, which is really tragic mm-hmm. because somebody needs to. But right. if, yeah, if, if he was to find that it was Russian manipulation of the election uh, or, or manipulation by a Russian agency paid for by the Saudis or somebody, uh, you know, whoever, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm open to any of those, you know, I want to hear the investigation. But if he found that, then actually, you know, Hillary wasn't elected because those votes actually were counted in those states. And, you know, it was in, in the election was improperly influenced. And I still think we should have a do over a make good because it was it was wrong. But, right, no, but she was actually elected. On the other hand, she was she was actually not elected. On the other hand, if you could demonstrate that, uh, you know, throwing actual legal voters off the voting roll simply because they're, they have Hispanic or, uh, common Hispanic or African-American names, which mm-hmm. is what Chris Kobach has been doing. If that was done, then you, could, then you could argue that Hillary Clinton, in fact, was legitimately elected and, and that she should be president right now. So there's, there's right. a slight distinction there. But, right. Okay. I, I yeah. can see that. Mm-hmm. Good points all. Laura, thank you for yeah. the call. And thanks for, thanks for uh, contributing to the conversation. Amy in Gloucester, Mass. Hey, Amy, what's up? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Uh, Hi, hi, Tom. Who came on Bluetooth? Can you hear me okay, Tom? Yeah, it's, it's a little flaky, but let's go for it, Amy. What's up? Uh, okay, good. First, thank you for addressing this very important topic. Last year, for the entire year of 2017, I was involved in an effort that led to the filing of three cases to the Supreme Court with a request to nullify the um, results the basis of breach of the Guarantee Clause, which is supposed to protect states from foreign interference. What is the Guarantee and Clause, three, please? Yes, in the Constitution, I quoted, I don't have it in front of me to quote, that basically guarantees that each state cannot have their electoral process interfered with by foreign powers. Where, where can so, I find that in the, in the Constitution, Amy? Well, if you just look at the Guarantee Clause, you'll find it. Um, and the attorney who wrote this case, uh, Amy, you're breaking up so badly I can no longer understand you. If there's anything you can do to fix that, do it. Otherwise, I'll put you on hold. Let me try and fix that. How do I fix it? Well, I'm going to try and fix it. Uh, can you hear me now, Tom? Yeah, continue. Oh, great, 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 great. I want to give you the name of the attorney who uh, took file of the case to yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Amy. It's 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 falling apart. Your your phone is falling apart. Uh, Amy's on line two, Louise. If you want to pick her up and get that information from her, she's recommending that we talk to somebody. Uh, Jim in Boise, Idaho. Hey, Jim, what's up? Hey, Tom. Love your show. Thank you. Uh, I, I was curious about the uh, why George Bush. I mean, he's him and all his cronies and all their war profiteering and, and whatnot. Um, uh, I, I don't understand. You know, I I, I I think the co-president thing is a, a cool idea, but why George Bush? <laughs> well, because he was the last president. I'm not a fan of George Bush either. I mean, you know, I, I, I think he set us on the road to fascism. I think he in, radically enhanced the powers of the imperial presidency. He lied oh, yeah, us into yeah. two wars. I, he's a war criminal. I mean, I can give you the whole long list. But if for, for a moment we're going to suspend all of our partisan bickering, Right. And, and try to transcend that and rise to the level of what's best for our nation. We have been harmed. There is a cancer in the presidency. There is a oh, cancer yeah. in the White House. And it's the consequence of um, either foreign involvement or the manipulation of elections by, by very wealthy and powerful people in the United States, or both. Then, yes. then I think that we would have, I mean, it's only a five-month period, right, from now until right. November. I think that we would have to say, okay, uh, you know, we're going to do this on a purely bipartisan basis. We're going to have a, a co-presidency, right. and and uh, you know, 
uh, if if one of them is disabled or something, uh, and, you know, I, I'm not sure what we do about the the vice president role. You know, as the as the <laughs> president of the Senate. Right. But but maybe maybe even just set that aside and just say there'll be no president of the Senate. You know, Mitch McConnell's the president of the Senate for the next six months. <laughs> and we need to get rid of him also. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I, in my in my humble opinion, I, I mean, I just I, I look at the Republican Party and Trump as as traitors to every every American out here. Yeah. You know, they're 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 just I mean, they're they're trying their best and they're and they're doing it to destroy America. They're putting I mean, party above country and that's oh, yeah. just and, uh, fundamentally wrong. Yeah, I mean it's just uh, uh, it's it's pathetic. Anyway, Tom, I love your show, man. I've learned so much uh, listening to you and uh, uh keep up the good work, man. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for your Thank kind you. words and thanks for the call. Kyle, and uh, uh, and by the way, uh, Kyle, hang on just a second. Uh I just found the uh the clause that Amy was talking about and it's Article 4, Section 4 of the US Constitution. And it reads, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. Uh, now, I think you could say that if the manipulation of the election by a foreign power could be interpreted as an invasion, that yes, in fact, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution could be used as the basis for possibly invoking some sort of special election or doing something. I mean, it's, it ultimately is going to fall to the Supreme Court, which is kind of depressing given that the result, you know, again, you'd have to take Neil Gorsuch off the Supreme Court because he's part of the fruit of that poisoned political tree. So Gorsuch would not be allowed to participate in the process. Anyhow, Kyle in uh, Enid, Oklahoma. Hey, Kyle, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Um, number one, I know that you can't condone what I'm about to say, uh, but we're facing something here that is different than any of us have ever seen. I'm 63. I paid taxes for 43 years. And I'm sure you've paid a ton of them over the years. Tom, um, we can't do anything with this guy. And I've just developed a personal plan here based on several things. I don't think, as far as I can recall, and there's been lots of presidents, the last one, or, or Bush, I mean, that I disagreed with on everything virtually. But I didn't think he was stealing from me, the taxpayer. I think that through the various, his various agencies, not only is Trump stealing from us personally through our taxes, but his agencies are selling off our land. They're doing a lot of things to, to harm us financially and personally. And, and, Tom, I pay a lot of taxes, and I pay them even if I don't agree I pay them. But I've never been stolen from before, and that changes things. And, and I just feel like... Everyone is just like me. I, and I hear they're frustrated. They don't know what to do. You, and this is just me. This is what I'm saying I'm going to do. Uh, my plan is this. If, if several things are going to have to happen, Trump, uh, Congress will have to stay in Republican control or Trump will stay in power for me to do what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to pay my taxes, and I'm going to leave the country. We're going to start selling uh, assets uh, if this happens. In November, I'm not going to do a thing until that happens. Sixty-five million people voted for Hillary Clinton, give or take. If if we all said no more, no more, that's it. We'll shut this thing down. You take sixty-five million people out of you take. Our I think if even three percent said that, you would shut it down. But again, it's a it's a federal crime to do what you're talking about. So it's pretty unlikely, Kyle. Well. Uh, uh, I, I, and, and, and we're going to leave the country. Yeah, well, even leaving the country, though, you still have to pay taxes, at least for a while. I understand, but they're going to have to catch me first. Yeah, I guess it, it depends on where you go and how much money you make there. Because, you know, I, the, the year that I lived in Germany, I had to pay U.S. taxes. I, I didn't think it was fair, but, uh, you know, hey, I paid German taxes and U.S. taxes. But, Kyle, I get it. And the, and the, and the part that you said that was absolutely profound is that this is the first time we've been stolen from. Ryan Zinke selling off public lands. That's ours. And selling it off to campaign contributors to Republicans. And, 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 and Donald Trump, you know, taking money, you know, to, uh, you know, via the emoluments clause, you know, from his business. It's, and, 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 of course, borrowing one and a half trillion. Hang on just a second. To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And borrowing a trillion and a half dollars that you and I and, and our children are going to have to pay off just to give it as a tax break to billionaires. Yeah, we've been stolen from, Kyle. Very good point.
Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs, and if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X chair. The X chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X chair. And the X chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, Dot com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, refer, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free foot rest. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you in the second hour of our program, helping you win the water cooler wars in a place where despair is not an option. I wanted to talk about the economy for a few minutes. We had the uh, stock market bump up uh, after Donald Trump tweeted. Actually, the inside traders made a fortune on this thing. Probably many of them good friends of Donald Trump. Uh, He tweeted out, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing the employment numbers. Of course, he had already seen them. So what he was saying was, good news is on its way, which means that, you know, you, you bet the market's going to go up. And a lot of people made that bet, and a lot of people made millions, maybe billions of dollars because of Donald Trump's tweet. But did unemployment actually go down? Did the employment numbers actually go up? It's getting really weird out there. And by the way, this is the kind of stuff that Trump was talking about when Obama was president. But, you know, I don't think he was quite this specific. But just just look at this. The the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that 223,000 jobs were created in the previous month, in the month of May. 223,000. But of that 223,000, 215,000 In other words, all but, if I'm doing my math right, 8,000 jobs were actually an accounting change, what's called a hedonic adjustment. There weren't actual numbers of people. And 95.9 million Americans are no longer in the labor force. This is the highest number that we've ever seen. So how is it possible that the unemployment rate is falling Yet the number of people participating in the labor force is also falling. Well, I think it makes perfect sense, actually. I think it's a combination of two things, neither of which are are being captured by this economic data. And I'll just lay this out. This is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right, from the BLS. From September 2017 until today, actually until the end of last month, 1.435 million people, 1.4 million people left the labor market. Now, some of them left the labor market because they just said, hey, you know, there's no jobs here in this little town in West Virginia. I'm just, you know, I'm going to stop looking. And they're no longer counted as unemployed. So they just gave up. You know, they, they can't draw unemployment insurance. They've maxed that out. They're just plain old flat out out of work. But they don't get counted. So that's some of them. And then there's also the baby boom generation is aging out. I have all kinds of friends, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-60s, and I have all kinds of friends who are also my age who are telling me, ah, we just had a wonderful two weeks in Cabo San Luca or whatever it is. You know, now that we're retired, you know, and, and a lot of these people, you know, because we all had jobs back in the 60s and 70s before Reaganism, a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of my friends have pensions and, and, you know, geez, they're having a great time, but they're no longer in the workforce. So, again, back to that number, 1.4 million people left the workforce. You know the number of new jobs that were added since September? The number of new jobs is 1.15 million. 
1.4 million left the workforce. So most of what is driving the unemployment numbers, what look like great unemployment numbers, is not that more people have jobs. In fact, if you take out the hedonic adjustment from last month's numbers, you only have 8,000 new jobs created last month. It's not that there's new jobs coming along. It's that people are giving up or retiring. So number one, that, you know, everybody's on TV, you know, scratching their heads and wringing their hands and saying, oh, you know, why is it that unemployment's so low and yet the economy doesn't seem wonderful? Well, unemployment's not really that low. That's why wages are not going up, except for billionaires. The labor participation rate right now is 62.7%. It has, it has not been that low, I don't think, in my lifetime. So that means that you know, the labor participation rate would be, what, around 37.3%. So number one. Number two, and this, this I got this morning, and, and you know, your thoughts on the economy, too. Feel free. Uh, to give us a shout, but I, I, the, you know, I, I've told you Aiden forecast, uh, the Aiden sisters, Pamela and Marianne, um, write this weekly newsletter and a monthly long read. It's called the Aiden forecast. Um, and they support our show, you know, just to be right up front about it. They, they are an underwriter of our program. Uh, although I've been subscribing to their newsletter for probably close to 20 years, which is why I'm real happy that they're supporting our program and not at all afraid to mention them. And what I get with my subscription is a daily newsletter from this guy, uh, Chuck, uh, I think his last name is Miller. And uh, Chuck, uh, his newsletter today is uh, pointing out the Fed fund rate. What do we do if we go into a recession and historically, the way that the Fed helps get us out of recessions, and by the way, this is the great lesson that we learned from the Great Depression, because the Fed did the exact opposite during the Great Depression, which made things worse. But what the Fed does is it lowers interest rates when you go into a recession to stimulate economic activity to soften the blow and bring us back out of the recession. And Chuck points out in today's newsletter, in his Fenning for Your Thoughts newsletter, I'll just read it. He says, I was just sitting here thinking about stuff last night when I thought to myself, what is the Fed going to do when the recession starts? Keep in mind, we're, we're eight years into a recovery. We've never in the history of the United States gone longer than nine years with a recovery. He says, what's the Fed going to do? Did you know that during the last 10 recessions, the average Fed fund rate was over 9%? And right now, our Fed fund rate is at 1.75%. Now, if you've got a, uh, an interest rate of 9% and you go into a recession, you can drop that down to 5%, 6%, 4%, whatever you want. You can drop it as low as you want, and you will jack the economy. And this is exactly what they did in 2008. They took it down to zero for like four years. And it's now slowly crept up to 1.75%. But the Fed no longer has that tool because the interest rates are so low. Which takes me to my larger point, which is that this economy is entirely, and I've been saying this for several years now, in fact, I wrote a book about this called The Crash of 2016, this economy is being held together with bubble gum and bailing wire. And we're being fed smoke and mirrors. I mean, we don't know what the hell is going on with this, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. Number one, we should have been in a recession by now, except for the fact that, A, the Fed is keeping the interest rates low, I mean, which is absurd. And B, and perhaps more importantly, the Republicans just borrowed $1.5 trillion from you and me in our names and gave it to the billionaires and the big corporations as a gift. Now, the billionaires and the big corporations are now spending that money. An awful lot of it is going into the stock market. They're buying back their stock and they're making investments. That has been driving up the market, which makes it look like the economy is just great. And it is if you're a billionaire. It's also been keeping things afloat, but it is a temporary stimulus. This is like a shot of cocaine. You know, it's going to wear off. When all that money just works its way back out of the system, you know, one and a half trillion dollars, that's a major impact. Barack Obama got us out of the, out of the Bush crash with $700 billion, seven-tenths of a trillion. And, and $300 billion of that was tax cuts, which were ineffective. 
So he got us out with a half a billion dollars, a half a trillion dollar stimulus, a $500 billion stimulus. And that lasted eight years. Trump gives us now a one and a half trillion dollar stimulus. But how long can it last since most of it went to billionaires and big corporations? I don't think it's going to last more than a year. But, you know, if you're informed on these topics and you have an opinion, I'd love to hear it. But that but if you combine these two things, the fact that the Fed is keeping interest rates low, which is extremely dangerous when we go into the next recession, because they will not be able to soften the recession. Number one. And number two, that Trump juiced the economy to help him in the midterm elections, because typically when the economy is good, whoever's in office, whoever's in power wins the election. This is purely a partisan move to try to rig the elections, essentially, by rigging the economy. Give a trillion and a half dollars, take it away from the middle class, give it to the, give it to the billionaire class and the corporate class, and they will spend that money in the stock market, and they'll spend that money with their buddies, and, and uh, you know, here we are. We've got this, this, uh, this hyper-juiced economy. Well, that's going to run out of steam, and when that runs out of steam, when you combine that with the now, you know, arguably 22, 23, 24 trillion dollar debt. And then you combine that with the fact that the Fed cannot lower interest rates again, at least as far, you know, they can, they can lower them by 1.75 points, but that's nothing. If we go into a serious recession, then I think we're headed for a real disaster. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Which raises an interesting secondary question, which is, would that disaster be enough to cause people to say, you know, Trump's an illegitimate president and he brought all this on us, let's change him. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us, our old friend Greg Pallast, friend of the program, investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his latest, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, that you can find over on Amazon. Greg Pallast, or you can watch, actually, live, stream it live. GregPallast.com is the website. Uh, you can tweet him at Greg Pallast, P-A-L-A-S-T, excuse me, Greg underscore Pallast. And uh, Greg, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tom. It's always great having you on. So uh, Chris Kobach is up to some new tricks, this time with uh, crazed gun nut Ted Nugent. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, you don't often have a lot of humor these days about assault rifles, except that Chris Kobach, who is running for governor of Kansas and was considered a lock, but now he's in a, he's in a race for his life with the uh, temporary governor he was appointed, uh, just recently appointed to fill the uh, ex-governor's uh, spot, Brownback. Um, he's in a neck-and-neck -neck race with a guy named Jeff Collier, um, who is not well, as well known. And so um, now Colbach um, decided to weaponize the election. He uh, showed up at a parade in Shawnee, Kansas over the weekend uh, in a military jeep uh, with American flag designs and a 50 caliber machine gun on top. And he said, look at my gun. And as so many things with Chris Kobach, it was a fake. Uh, the gun was a toy. It was a fake 50 caliber weapon, but still caused the mayor of the town to apologize to the children of the town for someone bringing an automatic weapon wow. uh, into, the, uh, into the parade. And, um, and so Kobach uh, is uh, now in a desperate, desperate move, is bringing in the real heavy guns. He's bringing in Ted Nugent. Uh, for a rally to save his campaign. Remember Col Chris Kobach, we know him as the wizard of cross-check, uh, uh, Trump's uh, uh, vote thief-in-chief, looking for the fraudulent voters, which are, of course, that the story is fake as his gun. And um, so he's in trouble, despite being Trump's man in a state that, uh, where Trump blew out the doors in, in the last, in 16. Mm. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the latest from Kobach. And the interesting thing, by the way, about Kobach, you know, Trump likes to stop that picture taken in front of his Trump Hotel and Trump Casino signs and his Trump Golf Course. Kobach, you should understand, actually has an assault weapons company called the Minuteman Defense. So is this an advertisement for um, either uh, well, what might be his next job if he doesn't, uh, now he's Secretary of State, but if he doesn't win the governorship? Wait a minute. He, he owns a company that manufactures guns or sells guns? You dig this. Yes, dig this. Okay, and I spoke to Kobach about this, uh, by the way. Um, Kobach is, uh, has taken the position, he's an he's attorney and he's Secretary of State, that in his state, if someone, if someone has an assault rifle weapons company and makes a weapon in Kansas and sells it to Kansans, sells it in the state, you don't have to register your gun under federal law. You don't have to follow the federal uh, automatic uh, gun rules. You know, you can't have a fully automatic Because you're not subject to interstate law. commerce and therefore not to federal control. 
You can't put one past you, can you? Uh, and <laughs> indeed, that's his claim. But that means that he, he's the only gun manufacturer, assault weapons maker, or planned uh, weapons maker in Kansas. If he does make those guns and sells them in Kansas, any fruitcake, any nutcase can now go to Kansas, buy an assault weapon from Chris Kobach, well, he'd also, have to, he'd also have to make his steel in Kansas. He'd have to make the screws and bolts in Kansas. I mean, he'd have to, he'd have to literally make everything. I mean, this, you know, Bobby Kennedy shut down the lunch counters in Birmingham, Alabama, because they were serving Heinz ketchup manufactured in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, it's uh, he, any little... Yeah, but that, oh, excuse me, that was Robert F. Kennedy, who was attorney general at the time. Jeff Sessions, I hate to tell you, is the current attorney general. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That law. And by the way, just uh, my condolences again to the Kennedy family. This is the uh, 50th anniversary right. of the assassination. It's tomorrow we're going yeah, we're, we're to do a big special on that. Oh, uh, Greg, uh, in the first hour of my program, I was uh, asking the question, if Robert Mueller can demonstrate beyond anybody's shadow of a doubt that the election was uh, influenced by foreign powers or... If, and unfortunately, I don't think Mueller's looking into this, but I'd love to know if you know something about it, or if we can find that, for example, the 75,000 African-Americans in Detroit who stood in line for hours and hours and voted in the voting machines did not record their vote for president, and therefore Trump won Michigan with 10,400 votes, or the the hundreds of thousands of people who were thrown off the voting rolls in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, that that those people actually were legal voters. If it can be demonstrated that he is a genuinely illegitimate president, is there any possibility that we could say bring back Obama and Bush and let the two of them be co-presidents for five months until November, have the two political parties do what they did in the early years of your lifetime and mine, sit in the smoke-filled rooms and come up with their best candidates for president and vice president from the two parties and throw them on the ballot in, in, in July or August and have a new election for president in, in November? A, what are your thoughts on that? B, uh, to what extent, you know, how, how goes your research on proving that actually Kobach did rig the election? Well, two things. First, uh, as to your idea of what might happen, I want to smoke what you're smoking because it's a wonderful fantasy, but I don't think the Republicans are going to give up power. And remember that uh, Trump is only the hand puppet. They're billionaires who have their fingers in that glove, yep. and they're not going to give up their control of the old Well, there you office. go, being the damn realist. Uh, I'm sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. And uh, as to our investigations into uh, whether the election was stolen. Actually, uh, zero question about that based on you know, the investigation you've seen in my film. Run by Chris Kobach, not only the cross-check program, the, the uh, alien, so-called alien voter purges, the uncounted ballots, as you mentioned, in Michigan, 75,355 ballots. We have that, but we also need you know, um, a second party, the Democratic Party, which is in hiding at the moment, I think, in the Witness Protection Program, to discuss um, vote... Uh, make vote theft a major issue. I just came back from Mexico. That's where it's, that's the number one issue is vote theft and keeping elections Whoa. clean. Greg, we're going to have to get you back on next week to talk about what's going on in Mexico. I'm sorry we're out of time, but uh, I really want to know about that too. Greg Palast, gregpalast.com. Thanks, Greg. Here's this that. is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back. Senator Jeff Merkley is going to be with us in just a few minutes. Stick around. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program. Uh, our program this hour is brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine, chwine.com. Senator Merkley, Jeff Merkley, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be with you. So great to have you, sir. And by the way, I should add your website, merkley.senate.gov, and people can tweet you at sen, S-E-N, as in Senator Jeff Merkley, M-E-R-K-L-E-Y. Uh, you were down in Brownsville, Texas. Tell us about it. Yes, I went down to check in on this uh, new policy we've been hearing about, of the administration uh, deciding to take those who are waiting a hearing on an asylum, in other words, to find out if, if they present their case on how they've been assaulted overseas and whether they stand at risk to return and therefore under international law and American law could be granted asylum. While they're waiting, the new administration policy is to rip the children out of the arms of the parents. And their stated goal is to inflict cruelty to the children to influence the action of the adults. That is to deter them from seeking asylum in the United States. Never before have we had a policy like this, at least in recent times, of inflicting cruelty on children in order to influence the parents. It, well, even with a, the uh, Japanese internment camps, we kept families intact. 
That's right. Even then, I mean, we have cases both with Native American tribes and with slavery where children were ripped out of their parents' arms, but, but, but this is um, something we, you know, these are horrific mistakes of the past, and this is now a horrific state uh, mistake of the present. Wow. So they would not let you in to see the kids or see how the kids are doing. What's, no, what, what's yeah, the next step? The, the children are separated from their parents at the Department of Homeland Services, and I was able to visit that processing center where that happens and to see a very, very large uh, cage. I call it a cage because it's made out of the type of fencing you'd use for a dog kennel, like a cyclone fence. Mm-hmm. And uh, to see 50 or so kids in there, uh, boys in there, uh, from very young ages, maybe four or five at the smallest, up through 16 and 17. And some of them may have been unaccompanied minors, but others are unaccompanied because we took them away from their parents. And now they're being sent off to who knows where. And one of those who knows where places is in, in Brownsville, a big Walmart warehouse that's been converted into a detention center for children. Now, these, this is not the only one in the country. There's a network of these that we need to understand where they are and how many kids are detained and how they're being treated. And, and, but the administration is wrapping them in secrecy. To my knowledge, no member of Congress has been permitted to see what's going on in these uh, big, uh, basically, uh, prisons for children. But you guys, by law and by the Constitution, have oversight responsibility uh, given to you by the Constitution over what the executive branch is doing with the money that you appropriate for them. No, absolutely. Think about it like this. I mean, uh, members of Congress uh, are, are, have top security clearances. They can know the most intimate secrets of what our country is doing. But suddenly it comes to how we're treating children in facilities in the U.S., and the administration is saying no admission. No admission for us, no admission for the, the press. Now, I certainly understand that you don't want cameras inside uh, without permission of kids to take pictures and you, maybe using names inappropriately or so forth, but at least the press should be able to go inside, see what's going on, ask questions about how these, these policies work. Do they have their, the, the counselors they need to address the fact that many of these kids have gone through enormous trauma overseas or en route to America? Do they have the psychiatric assistance that they need because they've been ripped away from their, their families? Why have they been ripped from the families? We've never done this before. Why not leave them united with their families until they have their hearing that determines whether or not they get asylum? If they don't get asylum, they return to their home country. If they do get asylum, they're here. But not, don't inflict additional harm on the children to influence the parents. Yeah, you point out that the last time that we were ripping children away from their parents was during the era of slavery, which came to an end at the end of the Civil War. And uh, it was basically a race-based policy. I mean, the assumption being, or not the assumption, the assertion being made by by, uh, conservatives in the South that uh, these aren't really people, after all. They're they're less than fully human. Um, I mean, that was the the, the operating assumption of of slavery. it seems to me that Trump, with all his racially tinged um, rhetoric about Mexican rapists and, and animals coming from south of the border, is almost bringing that back. I'm, I, I'm not sure if you would even want to comment on that, but that's what strikes me is that we're, that this is like the apioth, this is the, the peak of some sort of bizarre racial uh, you know, use of use of race for political purposes in a really, really destruction fashion that this administration is doing. Thoughts? Every every time around the world where you see people mistreated, it's preceded by a process of dehumanizing them. Right. What we've seen with the Rohingya in Burma this last year, in which uh, 300 plus villages burned to the ground, uh, massive rape, uh, gunfire from helicopters, uh, driving 700,000 people across the border into Bangladesh. That was preceded by dehumanizing the Rohingya for decades and, and treating them, not recognizing them as a legitimate uh, subpopulation or minority within, within Burma. What we see with the president is he decided late last year to make immigration a, a campaign issue and start dehumanizing immigrants. He gave it at his State of the Union. He, he made the symbol of immigrants MS-13. Uh, he proceeded to call immigrants animals. He has, in every possible way, said everyone coming to the U.S. is a criminal. Uh, so they're criminals, they're animals, they're MS-13 gang members. This is to prepare the way and justification for, for abusing these children to influence their, their parents. A thousand percent unacceptable. This is not acceptable in any religious tradition. Uh, it just, uh, it's, it's moral bankruptcy, and we've got to put a spotlight on it.
Yeah, we have just one minute left. What can people who are watching or listening to this program right now do? This is such an important moment to, to weigh in uh, with your members of, of Congress and your c- civic leaders uh, to cry out about this. Now, the administration will try to mislead you. They'll say, well, uh, this is, uh, uh, this is, this is a, everyone across the border is a criminal, or they'll try to attack people who are shining the spotlight. Uh, they're, they're running a smear campaign against me, saying Jeff Merkley wants open borders and is responsible for rapists and murderers entering the U.S. Don't be distracted. This is about children or families who are seeking asylum under a legitimate national law and international treaties, getting their day to determine if they were persecuted at home and are in danger and risk of return. And there's no reason to separate these children from their parents to add to the trauma they've already experienced. So people can call uh, 202-225-3121 to get to the congressional switchboard and then ask for their senators or their members or their member of the House representatives, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. 202-225-3121 is the telephone number. Uh, if you don't know who represents you, just give me your zip code. They'll tell you who your representative is. Tell, give me your state. They'll tell you who your two senators are. Jeff Merkley, you're doing God's work, sir. You are so good. Thank you so Thank much you for coming. So good talking with you. We will be back. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman program, brought to you in part by Super Beats, Tom's Beats, T-H-O-M-S-B-E-E-T-S.com is their website. And Roberta in Sun Lake, Arizona. Hey, Roberta, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, since your question appeared about what you would like to hear that people think should happen if Trump is removed from office, ever since it was announced that he had won the election, um, I had been appalled and... Um, I decided if I ever do a march, my placard would say, give us the president we elected. Right. Now. Over three million of us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, plus, maybe that 75,000 that you've been talking about today. Yeah, in Detroit. various parts of your program. Yes. Uh, why would that not become an option if Trump is uh, removed from office? For Hillary to the, the problem is that there's it. no constitutional precedent for this, and even the Supreme Court has been corrupted by the Trump presidency in as much as Mitch McConnell denied Barack Obama his rightful legal constitutional uh, appointment, Merrick Garland, who, by the way, was no flaming liberal. Merrick yeah. Garland was a right-down-the-middle guy, and yeah. denied Merrick Garland his seat and instead put on the, on the court probably, uh, Neil Gorsuch is probably more right-wing than anybody since the 1930s. I mean, he's more right-wing than Scalia. Scalia dressed his really? right-wingism up, you know, with fancy language about originalism. Uh, Gorsuch doesn't even bother to do that. And, and so the problem is that it would almost certainly get thrown to the Supreme Court. And uh, Gorsuch, uh, you know, you would think should recuse himself, but there's a long history. You know, for example, uh, you know, when, when uh, Dick Cheney uh, had a case before the Supreme Court, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's out uh, hunting with uh, Clarence Thomas and, and uh, uh, Scalia, Antonin Scalia. Right. Uh, you know, Scalia and Thomas are going uh, to the to the Koch brothers events before they've got, you know, uh, before Americans for Prosperity have issues before the Supreme Court. So what we have seen is that the right wingers on the Supreme Court really have no respect for, you know, uh, uh, independent jurisprudence for for the independence, the natural independence of a, of a court, you know, which is which is a terrible thing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it opens a whole bunch of, you know, a huge can of worms here, Roberta. But, but I think it's important for us to have this conversation. Roberta, I need to move along. But thank you for the call. Excellent, excellent question. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's up? Well, listening to your opening half hour or so, the show reminds us all of the very deep, dark hole we're in and the unprecedented danger we're in with this illicit Trump presidency. And what to do about it is going to be long and hard and difficult, and it has to be a step at a time. The first is, we've all got to vote. And the Democrats have to make darn sure that they win both houses of the Congress. And then they have to start doing the investigations to look into the three things you pointed out. Uh, Messing with ballots and voting machines, the foreign influence, and, of course, Chris Kovach's interstate cross-check. And continuing with Mueller's investigations and making a point of getting rid of not only Trump, but Pence. And yeah, and, and, times, and by the way, yeah. all the other fruit of that poison tree, uh, getting rid of Neil right. Gorsuch, getting rid of Scott Pruitt, getting rid of the, the whole bunch of them. 
spot on. George, you want to make a final point here? Because I want to get one more yeah, caller in uh, before the end the of the conversation hour. you had with the guy who was for Bernie and then voted for Trump made me think that we have to think outside the box. See, I don't, uh, you know, I get calls like that from people who I, I'm not even sure that he at, was telling the truth. That, 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 yeah. that is a classic Republican troll. So don't take it too seriously. Thanks a lot for the call, George. Vanessa, you're on the air in Nevada. Hi. Hi, how are you? Great. What's uh, on your mind? This, this thing about the family separation, the division, mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that America has been doing very well for many, many, many hundreds of years. And when you separate kids from the parents, you're going to change them both forever. Yes. You're going to change the parents because they're going to be guilty that they couldn't protect their children. I mean, the children are going to look at their parents with distrust, and they won't feel safe because why didn't you protect me? Right. Uh, they are literally traumatized for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life. And I'm African-American, and I can attest to that because black people are still suffering in this country from the time of enslavement. Yes. It was done by the black woman. So they were raped, white men raped them in front of the black man, their husband, their mate, any black man. And the black woman is looking at the black man, why can't you protect me? The black man now doesn't feel like a man because why couldn't he protect this black woman from this white man from raping and abusing her? And it's still playing out today in our community. I I agree with you, Vanessa. And and I think that Trump is going specifically after brown people, after, after Hispanics in order to cater to that same white racist base that, that you you know that that back in the day was committing the crimes that you so accurately described. Vanessa, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Thank you all for being with us today. Some really important issues, questions, lots of good news and information. I uh, hope it was of value to you. We'll be back tomorrow. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.